welcome to the Parker J. Cole Show. I am your host, the Queen Parker J. Thank you for joining me. Today, we're going to have a fun time as we talk about worlds without end. We're going to be talking about it today with my returning guest co-host and contributor, Travis T. Perry. He is the head of Bear Publications, an author, and just a dear friend. I love talking about these really interesting and intricate topics with him. And he's so great at it because he cuts through the fat and gets down to the core of it. The essay by a gentleman named Spencer A. Clavon. It's with the Claremont Review of Books, and it's called Worlds Without End. The subtitle is Marvel Comics, Quantum Physics, and the Secrets of the Cosmos. Really good stuff here. This gentleman does a great job weaving all of these things together. We can't touch on every part of the article, but I just want to encourage you to go to that essay on Claremont Review of Books and click on that, and I know you're definitely going to enjoy it. I thoroughly did. And so before I get into that, I want to thank you all for your support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years. As God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, just subscribe by going to pjcmedia.net, click on the pink follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. So let's bring it on. Travis, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with me. I haven't had you on in a while. I think the last time we talked, I think we talked about aliens. Is that the last thing we talked about, Travis? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, we had a great time with that discussion because we like to really delve into these really far out ideas, but they're not really so far out because they do have world implications if certain things are true. In this particular essay called Worlds Without End, there are some very interesting truths that Mr. Clavon, who is the author of the article, brings out. Before I do that, I want people to get a little idea of who you are, so go ahead and tell them all about yourself. I'm a publisher, uh, as you mentioned, Bear Publications, and I'm author and do other things. Army Reserve officer that uh, gets to have us the good fortune of traveling around the world doing kind of fun stuff. I just came back from Guatemala this summer doing a humanitarian assistance uh, exercise. So I don't know what else to say at this particular moment, but that's me. And one thing about Travis is that he's also bilingual and he also teaches at his church and he does other things too. One of the things rather attracted me to Travis about his knowledge is that he did a series on Lorehaven some time ago about the speculative fiction and war, depicting war in a speculative way. And then he wrote a book that he has not yet published, to my knowledge, about war. And yeah, I'm going to bring that out, Travis, because is it out yet? It's not, no. You know what? I'm, I was like waiting until I get finished writing the sequel. But oh, I also write up, I wrote uh, for a number of years a blog post that explored a lot of speculative angles. And I wrote several articles about multiverse and did some research on multiverse type stuff. So I guess that's pertinent to this uh, today's topic. I think it is too, particularly since it uses the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is really big about using the multiverse to tell story. Or in this case, are they really telling a story or just regurgitating the same story over and over again, putting new paint on old walls? So that's one of the ideas that comes out of this particular essay. And so what I'm going to do, Travis, is just read the first couple of paragraphs of this essay. And for our listeners out there, we're going to provide you with the link so you can read the whole essay on your own. So we're not going to touch on every single part of this. So it starts off with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, MCU, is the most successful franchise in movie history. So far, Marvel Studios, a subsidiary of Disney, has produced 29 titles. 
from Iron Man in 2008 to Thor Love and Thunder this year. Collectively, the movies have grossed over $26 billion worldwide. That's before factoring in the TV shows, video games, theme park rides, merchandise, and all the other movies scheduled for production in years to come. These films have caused a cultural and economic sensation that merits more than passing attention. I'm going to stop here because this particular author makes mention of why it's important to talk about the creative side of our imagination. The ideas that are being postulated and propagated in this cinematic universe are going to impact generations further out. Why is that significant to the discussion? Well, in the article, he makes the case that the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in putting the multiverse in so many stories recently, which it really has increased the number of stories that feature the multiverse, or the multiverse is a very important part of the story. You know, the author makes the case that this is, you know, part of the modern philosophy of the world, and it actually even relates to a philosophy of the world without God is one of the concepts that he brings up. But there's actually quite, as you mentioned, it's quite a long article, and he brings up many aspects of the story. But the point is, this multiverse of the ideas of the multiverse that are coming through these Marvel comics are going to influence people that watch these shows. They're going to assume the multiverse is really, you know, kind of like a fact, like it's true, and that's going to affect the way they think about the world. I think you hit it right on the nail, Travis. But I think the article does a really good job of making sure that if it's a multiverse, here are some of the critiques of the whole idea and what happens when we try to exclude God from it. So there's a lot going on here. So I'll continue reading here. In 2013, Marvel released Thor The Dark World, the second Thor film and eighth in the MCU. One scene in Dark World briefly features a blackboard on which the astrophysicist Eric Selvig has scribbled a mess of equations and diagrams, some fictional and some referring to real discoveries in quantum mechanics. Now, with this particular section of the article, I want to point out that it's incredible that we can delve into the universe and we can find equations that have bigger implications than just on the small scale. When you see something like this, do you think that is a design feature of creation, or is that just something random? Well, I mean, the article, as you as you know, makes the case that part of the reason why this has become popular is certain multiverse conceptions kind of make it easier to think of the universe making itself randomly. In particular, the string theory idea, and without getting into a lot of detail about how that is exactly, it just says, according to string theory, there's many ways in which reality can be configured. And in effect, that the universe keeps trying all the, all the possibilities until it gets one that works, you know, that produces intelligent life. And that's a way of explaining how the universe can be fine-tuned without God. You know, you just roll the dice so you get all sixes or whatever the case may be, you know, with 100 million dice, you hit all sixes. If you roll enough, it'll, that's the idea that'll happen. Now, I've made case elsewhere why that doesn't actually work the way it should or way even doesn't even work as a random idea, but that's part of the reason why it appeals to some people. That's why it's become a thing. But I think that if there was a multiverse, it would be a design feature. It would be something that God made. Uh, again, I express whether we cannot know if there's a multiverse or not, but if there was one, God would have done it. And I have also speculated about possibilities of multiverses from a biblical or Christian viewpoint. So, yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that you can use 
as a writer, a Christian writer, to talk about what God would do. But I think that it is awesome, as you're saying, these equations that we can discover part of how the universe works by the operation of our mind. We can do that because our mind's made in God's image, even though he's far beyond us and can think things we can't think. So, yeah, I, I mean, I see a design in all of it. But again, the article makes the point part of the reason why this idea is popular is it it's compatible with thinking of the universe without God. Let's think about creativity for a second. One of the critiques that this article talks about is how the multiverse is used to tell the same story and slapping on new paint. Just because so-and-so died in this universe, well, in the next universe, they're alive. So it really doesn't matter. Would you say that the use of the multiverse as a creative agent actually deteriorates the ability to create a good story? So this article is really a great article if people read it, but it is quite long. I don't know how much it would be in printed pages, something like 30 pages or something. It's significantly long. But the author does some really neat things. He pulls up some, he shows some good understanding of science and also history. He talks about how at the time of the late Roman Empire, because of there was a philosophy, a version of multi-universe thinking back then caused by the Epicurean philosophers believed that the universe or world could generate itself randomly by their concept of atoms just randomly crashing. A surprisingly modern view that what people would do is they would make alternate versions, make almost fan fiction of classic stories like the Iliad and Odyssey and other plays. They would change the endings and it became, and the author makes the, the case, that when you do that, you've kind of lost creativity. You know, you think you're enhancing creativity by changing the story, by showing new aspects. It's kind of exciting and fresh at first, but then it kind of gets to be the same thing over and over. And applying to Marvel, that is what kind of the case he's making it, that as it was introduced as a storytelling device, the multiverse maybe, you know, gave some new life to some Marvel stories. But now it seems that it's doomed the same, killed some creativity, because it just means we're going to tell the same stories over and over with just different flavors or different twists. And so that's one of the points the article author makes. One thing the article author also does, Mr. Clavon, is that he talks about how as we get away from the idea of God being the creator of all things, that this multiverse idea becomes more and more prevalent because now we don't need God. And he quotes something here. I think it's by Richard Dawkins that he says here in an article, he quotes, it was Darwin who first put together a coherent and tenable account of why we exist, wrote the evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins in The Selfish Gene, 1976. He went on to quote with approval, the paleontologist G.G. Simpson, all attempts to answer that question before 1859 are worthless and we will be better off if we ignore them completely. What's interesting about this particular quote that the author put in his essay is the fact that core end of what's going on, we're just trying to push God out of the scene. The very fact that this is something that we're trying to do, do you think that it shows a deliberate direction to lead people away from acknowledging the design elements of the universe? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you could say fairly that our culture is headed that direction. But anyway, I thought it was very interesting what author did. He quoted uh, Dawkins and he quoted the person that Dawkins had quoted as saying, basically, hey, you don't have to pay attention to anything from the ancient world. That old study stuff isn't going to help you understand anything new since Darwin in 1859. Anything before that's just a waste of your time, basically, was a Dawkins thing. But then the author goes and quotes how this actually kind of happened in the Epicurean philosophy that they believed in uh, self in something 
very close to a multiverse and that how it affected their stories. And so he actually pulls up a very meaningful historical detail. So uh, he shows, first of all, that the history isn't you know, beside the point, like modern guys would say. But they do tend to do that. Just ignore that old stuff. Don't pay attention to that old stuff. Just pay attention to the new things. And that is a flawed philosophy, one. And two, yeah, they are trying to imagine a universe in which everything has an explanation without God. And one of the things that they've run into is at a time of Einstein, people were able to imagine that maybe the universe would have just a few simple principles that you could put on a few equations that would explain why everything matches life, why everything's fine-tuned. The fine-tuning aspect comes in is that no one has been able to find a simple equation that explained everything. Even string theory, which was maybe able to provide the simple thing that would explain everything, has many different possible solutions. And that's just part of why some people think of it as a multiverse solution. It's not quite the article said that it isn't necessarily true that scientists think because string theory allows many possible solutions that automatically all of them would run. But why would just one run is a question they have. Why would ours be the only one that would come forth? They have no reason for that. So then they suppose it must be all of them run for some unknown reason. And that's just easier to think if you've already ruled out the concept of a creator that is uh, designing things and putting things together. If you've already ruled out a creator, well, then where does things come from? And how do things get to be so fine-tuned? So the multiverse winds up being an assistant to that idea because basically it's a, you know, like it, you just keep trying over and over and over again in the string theory. Now, the, the standard multiverse, when we're talking about quantum mechanics, it tries to take some of the, um, I guess you could say some of the real mystery of why some things happen in quantum mechanics and give it kind of a straightforward explanation uh, because in quantum mechanics, it can seem that something is two places at the same time. And then when you actually measure it, you find out that it's been in one place, you know. So the many worlds hypothesis is, well, no, actually, there's two different worlds in which you know, this electron is in both is in one place in one world and one in the other. And when you make a measurement, you actually cause the worlds to split that sort of thing. And so by every single quantum decision, the number of universes is, you know, exponentially increasing. So every single decision, because presumably every decision we make relates to electrons and so forth, you know, those kind of quantum decisions relate to our decisions. Therefore, you can see a decision where, you know, you made all the choices in your life different. And this is like an interesting storytelling device. It's kind of fascinating. Like I said, if it existed, it would have to be a creation of God. Because every time you make a new universe, I would say, where does all the matter and energy from that new universe comes from? This is something that people just kind of ignore. It couldn't just pop out of nothing. According to the scientific laws, we do know matter, conservation of matter and energy. Um, but people just say, oh, it just does. And they don't worry about it. But it would take like a, you know, a miracle, really, for the universe to work that way. That's what I would say. But I think I've wandered off the point a little bit here, Parker. But what I'm saying, though, is I do, I do think that there is kind of this whole philosophy of a self-generating universe that does all these possibilities is kind of anti-God because there's no one control over anything. It's just all just happening kind of randomly in many different ways. And to underpin what you just said, you have here in the article, for this reason, skeptics of the multiverse are keen to designate it as a metaphysics rather than scientific fact. And he quotes someone in Scientific American named Ellis saying, nothing is wrong with scientifically based philosophical speculation, which is what multiverse proposals are. 
but we should name it for what it is. And he quotes, does the multiverse really exist from August 2011? In The Return of the God Hypothesis, geophysicist and philosopher of science Stephen C. Meyer goes further. In order to explain away the fine-tuning of the universe, he writes, inflationary cosmology and string theory needs to affirm numerous purely hypothetical entities, abstract postulates, and unobservable processes. It may be interesting, in other words, but it's not science. And I thought that was a good way to kind of bring it all together. You were talking, too, that for Christians in particular, like I don't particularly think there's a multiverse. I don't think there are several universes on a plane, on an axis, on a world. You know what I mean? I don't think that. But there are dimensions, which I think is a different thing than multiverses. What, what are your thoughts about that? One of the things that I go back to when we talk about uh, multiverses is uh, C.S. Lewis, if you recall, in The Magician's Nephew in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's the wood between the worlds, and it's a place where you, know, you walk through this forest, and these, there are these pools, and you can jump into them, and you go to a, each one is a different world, a different universe, if you will. The universe, C.S. Lewis conceived of multiple universes in that way, and you know one of them was Narnia versus England. But in so doing, he saw these as created by God and linked in a particular place where you could travel from one to another. It's interesting that in a fantasy universe like that, because it is, even though uh, C.S. Lewis does have science fiction ideas a number of times, that's really a fantasy universe. In the fantasy universe, you can travel from one to another. But in, even though many times, you know, in the MCU, in various ways, people do cross from one multiverse to another, one of the features of a multiverse, if, if it happened the way it's supposed to happen, there would be no way to cross. There's no known way to cross. I mean, we could imagine, well, what if you could cross anyway? But in fact, there's no known way to cross from one multiverse to another. You'd be, you're stuck in the one you're in, and that's it. So if that's what it gets back to being there being no evidence for it. Yeah, you make a good point there, Travis. And the article says here, empirical verification has been a key requirement of scientific fact, at least since the days of Francis Bacon and Galileo Galilei. And then he goes on to say, for modern scientists, experiment is what ancient Greek philosophers would have called the criterion, the touchstone, the truth against which claims are to be measured. And so he makes the point like, we can't prove it because you can't see it. If you want to say the multiverse is a set of decisions that each individual makes that creates a whole new universe, because that gets kind of trippy when you think about it, right? Then what starts to happen, then you can't change your decision in this universe and then go over to the next universe and change the decision of that person in that new universe. And then that person goes there. Now, it's fun for creativity in a sense. I like Jet Li's The One, where he kills off all his copies and each time he kills them, he gets their power. That's actually a very interesting idea because then that means that the multiverses are shared in some manner. And then I like sliders. I've been watching sliders lately. And in sliders, though, they use the multiverse more so to discuss philosophical ideas about our world. Like I recently saw one of the older sliders episode where the professor and Quinn are athletes, but they're like super intellectual athletes. So they're playing a game and they're bouncing balls and answering all these scientific questions. <laughs> and they're playing a game called mind game. And it's a sport. Like in our current world, the athletes are just playing a sport. They're not thinking and playing a game at the same time. So it was a really fun episode, and I enjoyed it. 
But it was just telling that even though you may be academically well-versed, that still makes you a horrible person because Quinn in that world, he's still old like a gambling dad and all these things like that. So they're interesting ideas to explore, I think, philosophical things like that. But to make them fact is where it gets trippy. Right. I mean, exactly. Speculative is cool. And, uh, you know, I've one of the ideas I mentioned, uh, like a Christian in one of my blog posts, you know, that maybe the Bible would be different in different worlds. So if people did different things, you know, some things would be in common. They would all start with the creation of Adam and Eve. That would all end with revelation and the judgment of the world. But maybe there would be differences on the way, you know, that maybe people had genuine choices. And the Bible we have is product of that. So maybe there'd be a Bible in which David didn't sleep with Bathsheba or something like that. You know, maybe you might have different versions of the Bible or different versions of church history based on what actually happened. And that's a speculative idea. It's an interesting speculative idea. I had another speculative idea that maybe what happens is is through the multiverse, God ensures that, or it just happens anyway, that every single person that ever lived, at least one copy of you from one multiverse makes it to heaven. And then you can meet all of yourselves in heaven, I speculated. But then in hell, you know, you're all consolidated into one also. So everyone goes to heaven. It's an answer to the question of universalism. How does Jesus save everyone, yet we all have to choose him? You know, maybe the multiverse is the answer. That's a speculative you know, idea that I had. And I threw it on a blog post if anyone ever wants to use it. If your readers want to use it, you know, feel free. But the thing about it is I think we do well as Christian authors of speculative fiction to try to link it to something of deeper, greater meaning of lasting value, even if we use the multiverse. And this is one of the criticisms of the article you gave. As a storytelling device, it's kind of fun. It can be cool. Marvel has used it in cool ways, but it also kind of takes away the stakes. If anything can be changed, if you can just hop into an alternate universe and get you know your situation back, then what are the real stakes? If anyone who dies can be alive again, you know, if any problem that goes wrong, you just go into another multiverse and pull somebody back, it makes the story in the long term weaker. And also, there's also a philosophical underpinning to this, too. There are some things we simply just cannot change. If you make a mistake, that's why we try to do the best we can. We're just living with each other here on Earth. But there are some things you simply cannot change. And learning to deal with that is important. That's why, and most people know when my grandmother passed away, it was a reality-altering event for me. And I've I've been thinking about it a lot lately, just how death is so significant to understanding how much time we have. What are you doing with that time? And do you spend your time doing fruitless things that mean absolutely nothing? Or do you spend your time doing what you can? So that's for me, that's been like a really big deal for me. Also, another thing I've thought about is that death makes that instant finality. I can't go to the multiverse and bring back my granny. Because in all honesty, if the multiverse existed, that granny would be completely different than the granny I had. Who knows if the granny I had would be the one that I love so much. The granny in the multiverse may be a mafia lord for all I know. But then stories play with that idea, Parker. They play with the idea that maybe she's totally different or maybe she's pretty similar. That's something that they do touch on quite a bit. But, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't you know, give you a sense and what is actually seems to be true, that the decisions you make in this world really are, uh, do make consequential differences. However consequential, we don't know because we have impact past what we can see. But in the multiverse, if you really believe in the multiverse, everything seems kind of random. Does it really matter if I do X, Y, or Z? Well, it matters maybe to my enjoyment of life, but it doesn't matter beyond that. There's no 
greater truth or, you know what I mean? It diminishes the idea of greater truth. Exactly. And then here he goes on to say something which I really found quite profound is this. But no experiment could ever prove or disprove the existence of evil or the soul. So he goes even further than we're talking multiverses. He says, these are not testable hypotheses, but spiritual convictions. We need spiritual convictions. We cannot meaningfully speak of human life without them. But formulating them is a task for ethicists and clerics, not scientists. That is why the many worlds debate has become so heated. Giving multiverse theory the imperture of science means giving scientists the authority of philosophers and priests. And that's, I'm going to actually end with that because I would love for you to read this article on Claremont Review of Books called Worlds Without End. And I think you're definitely going to enjoy it. I know I did. And I call this, I told Travis, I think this is brain gum. <laughs> Things that make me think are brain gum to me. The more you chew, the more you keep chewing, it really gives you ideas. And then I always think God should get the glory for his own creation. And God has left his signature in the universe in so many different ways that it's impossible not to see that design element. Stephen C. Meyer, whom the article quoted, I believe he's part of the ID movement, an ID theorist. And he talks about the signature out there. One of his first books I bought was called Signature in a Sale. And he talked about how the sale, which is a small element of organic of organisms, all of this detail, engineering, architecture, all of that. And you want to say that's random. Then I can't fall for that. So, yeah, but the ID theorists take a minimal view, at least saying that everything points to an intelligent designer. It's not a religious movement. It's more of a philosophical starting place, I would think. But Travis, again, thank you for being with me today on the show. I just really wanted to touch on this article because I thought we both would enjoy it. But people want to get in contact with you. Where can they find you online? www.bearpublications.com. That's my publishing site. Travis's Big Idea is the blog. It's a little old, also on speculative faith, but that's been uh, kind of uh, outdated. I do want to do a blog comeback. So, But right now, I guess I'm a little bit hard to find. I need to do some more things. I'm working on right now the Animal Eye comic, publishing it uh, by Cindy Kep, and that's also available on our website. And uh, Travis, thank you so much for being with me, really, because I got to tell you guys, when I talked about this article, I had just seen it yesterday. <laughs> and uh, Travis, he's actually traveling, but he took time to just do this show with me because, again, we both like this type of thing and we both enjoy it. So I thought it'd be good to share it with you because I like these type of things. I'm very much a sci-fi girl. And I love talking about these really deep, interesting things that capture my imagination and my attention. So I want to thank Mr. Clavon for his essay. And again, thank Claremont Review of Books for publishing it. And I will go from there. So Travis, thank you for being with me today. Really appreciate it. And to our listeners out there, thank you for joining in on the conversation. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. And God bless.